shared from her testimony this morning, um, we were talking about David's compromise in Ziklag, how he got so tired of running from Saul that he actually went and camped out with the enemy. And then it cost him and his army dearly later on. And when he was in a moment of like just weakness and just distraught, he put the ephod on as we demonstrated last week with Joseph. Joseph just very obediently stood there for <laughs> five minutes with a jacket over his head. But David sought the Lord. And that was like his his the way that he overcame that compromise was that he was able um, to seek God and to just run into that place of prayer in that secret place. And so this week, so, you know, as we glanced over about four chapters, um, we see at the very end of 1 Samuel, Saul is killed in battle. And there's multiple factors here because Saul, first, he gets hit with arrows and then he realizes, I'm not going to survive this. Like, this is bad. And so he turns to his armor bearer and he's like, armor bearer, like, don't let the Philistines torture me. Like, kill me first before they do. Because, or Amalekites, excuse me. Thank you. Don't let them get me. Like, if they get me, they're going to torture me first. So how about you kill me first? And then, um, and, and the armor bearer, though, is too scared, and he's like, uh-uh. So Saul's like, fine, forget you, and he falls on his own sword, but even that doesn't do him in. And so then we see this, this guy that just came and testified before David and was executed, stumbles upon Saul. Saul is dying from his wounds that the arrows have inflicted, that he's inflicted, and finally this guy finishes him off. So what we're going to look at today is actually the way that David um, responded to Saul's death. Because if we are thinking about it, Saul has been pursuing David, trying to kill him for years. Like on multiple occasions, Saul has tried to kill David. There's not like any question about that. Um, and what is appalling is the fact that like David actually mourns for Saul. He mourns over his death. And so there's a couple of different things David does. The first thing is he mourns over Saul, like he's actually grieved over the death of Saul. Um, and we see, you know, the young man that was ex probably expecting uh, David to be pleased at the news that, that his enemy's finally dead, um, did not get the response he was looking for. And you kind of look at the way that David responds, and, and when you hear David's song that he sings over Saul and that he teaches others to sing, you're kind of like, David, are you living on the same planet? Like, are you singing about the same Saul that we're reading about? Because, like, I wouldn't sing that song over Saul. Um, but David didn't remember the ugly side of Saul that he saw. Like, he actually instead, like, chose to remember the parts of the Lord that, like, God had put inside of Saul, um, and he chose not to partner with the accuser of the brethren, but instead, like, he actually blesses um, Saul, and what's amazing is that David now uses his influence, like, he could have been like, all right, like, finally, Saul's out of the way, like, that guy, come on, like, he could have tarred Saul's memory, but instead, he chooses to command others to bless the good in Saul and to bless the Lord and to actually be thankful, like daughters of Israel, like, hey, he gave you good stuff. Like, remember that? Like, be thankful for that. Like, bless him for that. Um, and it's, it's amazing that in this, you know, defining moment where now the tables have turned and the power is in David's hands, 
most people, like when there's a shift in political power or even a shift in like your job, your manager, your coworkers, whatever, like sometimes people take advantage of that. And, and when there's a power shift, it's like open season on the old guy, right? Like everyone is like, now, now there's a freedom when that restraint is lifted. There's a freedom to be like, well, this is what I really thought about you. Like, it's just not like you could maybe fake some tears or like say some nice things. Like, it's just not like you could maybe fake some tears or like say some nice things. And it's just not like you could maybe fake some tears or like say some nice things and not mean it. But like, you can't fake this kind of response that David has in regards to Saul. And so you see, even in Saul's death, that the transformation that David experienced in the previous seasons was real. It was legit because... Um, his, the way that he responds now when he has no, no restraint, he has the power now, um, he grieves over Saul and he teaches others to bless him as well. And I love, uh, sorry, I'm going to throw Cindy and Priscilla under the bus for a second, but so in our house, like, uh, the three of us ladies live together and we kind of share different chores or responsibilities and I do most of the grocery shopping. And I love to eat healthy. Like, it actually is something that brings me joy and delight. Like, it's not a temptation to me to eat junk food because I genuinely just don't enjoy it. But so we have kind of a higher, you know, we have a healthier standard of the food that goes in our house and, you know, none of this, some of that. And, and whenever I go home to visit my family in California... When I come back, I'm afraid to open the fridge because I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to find in there. Like, there's probably soda and white bread and, like, all of these terrible things, right? And it's funny because, like, you can tell that, like, Cindy and Priscilla, they can do their best to honor the letter of the law, like, while I'm present. But when I'm gone and restraint is cast off, like, they don't have the heart of the law. Like, they don't have that heart to continue walking in it in my absence. And so you can tell... <laughs> You could tell that like restraint gets cast off a little bit. And so that's like that's something that even for us, like there's people that God has placed in our lives or, or boundaries and parameters, like whether good or bad, like God has put some restraints upon us. And you can tell a lot about like whether our heart actually like has been transformed and we really understand the spirit of the law versus just the letter of it. When those things are removed, are we like, yes, like finally now like I can cast off this restraint or that restraint or I don't have to deal with this person's rules or that person's oppression of me like and, and our sin kind of like our pride just rears up its ugly head. But that's why it's so amazing that you don't see that in David. Um, and the other, th we're going to talk later on too about how amazing it is that, you know, just in compared comparison to our, the climate of our current culture, David's response. But, um, the, the second thing though, that I want to draw attention to about David, it's number three here on the slide, but David's primary concern was for God's name and glory. Like, David wasn't like, oh, man, this is finally my moment. Like, he's gone. Thank God. Like, he's not trying to kill me anymore. But David was actually grieved because the, the um, he, in, in 1 Samuel, you actually see the Philistines, like, they, they cut off Saul's head and his armor, and they send it all throughout the land so that they can celebrate their gods and their people. 
like they were celebrating the victory of their gods over the God of the Israelites. And David was super grieved by that. He's like, hey, don't do it. Don't you tell it in those cities of the Philistines. Don't you gloat. Like, like David was primarily concerned by Saul's fall, like that, that that defamed the name of the God of Israel. And that's, you know, gosh, like just even in more recent events, like as we see leaders in the body of Christ falling right and left, like our primary concern isn't even just only with people and how it affects the people involved, but our primary concern is like, man, like I am grieved that the name of God was just defiled and that the enemies of God are going to gloat over that. Um, and uh, David likewise doesn't partner with the accuser of the brethren over Saul. I love, I was, I remember just being very convicted by a sermon that Joseph shared one time because he was talking about how true discernment is not us being able to see people's sin, but true discernment is actually being able to see what God put inside of that person. And, and I was so convicted by that because I, I would like to think of myself as someone that had a lot of discernment. But after that sermon, I was like, oh, man, I don't even have the beginning of it. Um, but uh, David chose not to partner with Satan's accusations against Saul, even though he would have been correct. Like, he would have been right to point out every bad flaw in Saul. Um, but I love just the, you know, kind of like that picture in Zechariah where, where Satan's standing before the Lord and he's like, look, he's filthy. Like, and, and David in this instance chooses not to partner with uh, Satan, but he, he chooses to say, no, like put, like put clean garments on him. Like we're going to bless him. Um, the Bible. So like the Lord actually tells us how we should respond when people who are bothering us or afflicting us or persecuting us, like when they suffer or they fall, like the Bible actually has, tells us like, hey, this is how you should respond. Proverbs 24, 17 to 18 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. And, um, it's that that verse has always put a little bit of the fear of the Lord in me and that I'm like, man, like is if there's any ounce of me that delights in somebody else's suffering, like God will actually turn away his anger from them. And now I'm in trouble with the Lord. Like now he has to deal with the sin in my heart because um, God like really, really, really does not like that human tendency in us that when we see somebody else suffering, we're like, yeah, they deserved it. Like that is so our human tendency. It really is. It's so common to all of us that there's somebody that bothers us or afflicts us or persecutes us. Like when we see them suffer, like God's like, don't delight in that. Like, don't, don't let there be a part of you that's like, yeah, like they, they finally got what they deserved. Um, because like, why is it so displeasing to God? It's because God does not delight. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And this is something that I think is amazing in that like David didn't just bless Saul in Saul's death because David was super awesome. Like David actually spent enough time with the Lord that he was able to get God's heart for Saul and understand this principle that we see in other parts of scripture, like Ezekiel 33 says, 
um, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Um, David latched on to this part of God's heart. And this is something that's so important for us is like, we don't, we don't just, we can't, like we said earlier, like this isn't something that you can fake. Like you cannot fake blessing your enemies. You can't fake like not rejoicing in their downfall. And it's something that like we can't produce inside of ourselves. Like it's something that we actually have to take time to cultivate in that place of prayer. We be holding the heart of God so much so that we can actually feel how his heart is grieved and, and longs even for the wicked to repent. Like how he, he doesn't delight in their downfall. Um, but that he he yearns for them. And the propensity for human revenge or vengeance is so strong that even in the law, when you see, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's God putting limits on us because he knows that we're prone to go further than that. Like that was God trying to curb our tendency and our response to take vengeance even further. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's prescription is to actually have us go the extra mile or turn the other, uh, other cheek because that desire for vengeance is so powerful and so potent. Um, and I find that, you know, pertinent to today's society because our, um, our culture is becoming like, I feel like a couple of years ago, it was very, clear, very clearly polarized, right? Like you could feel that there's like two clear sides in America. There's blue, red, whatever. Like, but now like it's just growing and getting to the point where it's more and more hostile. Um, and it's interesting to me because like Priscilla sent me something earlier this week that was on Twitter. This, this uh, the mayor of Boston, who's Asian, had a Christmas party and didn't invite any white people to her Christmas party. And like stuff like that, like it seems like, like, but purposefully excluded white people. And she's just blatantly racist. Like she's made some very racist comments in public, but like, like stuff like that, like it's almost laughable, like when you talk about it that way, but this is the reality of our country that we're living in. And it's, it's griefsome because the response is like, well, you oppressed us, so now we're gonna oppress you. And that's like the, the world's solution. Even, you know, a, a, an even worse example is, you know, Hamas raping, murdering babies, women, children, like, and there's people that are celebrating it in our own country, not just in the Middle East, but there's people celebrating it. And I'm like, what kind of a twisted world do we live in that anyone, I don't care what you did. I don't care if you punched me in the face. Like, that doesn't ever give me license to do those things, right? Like, and and so we see, like, this is, this is the um, twisted justice and vengeance of man without God. This is what it looks like without God. And it's it's interesting because when you see, like when we look at the world, apart from the worldview of the gospel, like when we look at the world without sin, you have people basically like if I look, you know, I look at that behavior and I'm like, you have a sin problem. Like I'm like, 
that's that's your primary problem. Your primary problem is you are not right with God. Like that is the root of all of your evil and iniquity. And but the world looks at all of the the fruit of sin without understanding the root cause of we are sinful and we need Jesus. And so they're like blindly groping around in the dark, trying to find some sort of explanation or someone to point the blame at that. Like, it's your fault. Like you are the problem, not sin is the problem, but you are the problem. And there's like, when there's uh when sin is not the root cause and you can't identify that as the primary problem and Jesus is the main solution, like it just goes into this twisted cycle of vengeance and the oppressed become the oppressor and like it just perpetuates itself and there is no break in that and there's no solution for that apart from the cross of Christ. Um, And and this is, you know, some, I think that, you know, sometimes we see stuff like that in, the world and we're shocked by the depravity of man, but it really shouldn't surprise us. Like that should only be surprising to us if we think that people are morally very good apart from God. Like, and so the, the, the surprise that we feel that comes when we see the sin of man surface, like that really just kind of exposes our humanism a little bit. It's like, Oh, your humanism showing. Um, but, uh, that, you know, in all, in all seriousness, like that's why like, like unforgiveness is such a serious issue to God. Like it's such a serious issue to God. And that's why like he tells us like, don't fall into that vicious cycle of like, well, Saul's been persecuting me. So now I'm going to really like let him have it. Um, but, but Jesus calls us to break that. And the only way to break it is the cross. Um, I remember once Priscilla and I, we were traveling through the world and uh, one of our stops was in Germany And we were staying at this beautiful bed and breakfast, like picture perfect, idyllic. It's in the countryside of Bavaria. They have this breakfast spread of all these cheeses and salamis. It's like charcuterie board for breakfast. I'm in heaven. And we're chatting with this this old man that runs it, super sweet old man, runs this bed and breakfast with his wife and his daughter. It was called the Old Doctor's Inn because he was a doctor. And... Um, everybody looks at doctors like, oh, you're a doctor. You're, you must be the best, you know, like you're amazing. You're a blessing to society and humanity. This guy come, we come to chatting with him a little bit and it turns out like he was a Hitler youth when he was a kid. And you'd never think that like just chatting with him over cheese and salami, like in his beautiful home where he's opened it up to be hospitable to travelers that are coming through. But he was. And like, and the thing is that like our, you know, it's only our pride that says, well, I would never do that or I would never be that. Like it's really like, therefore, but for the grace of God, like go I. Like the only thing separating me from Hamas is the blood of Jesus. Like that is the only difference between us. And there's such a need for that in like the current climate of our culture like we need truth in the body um to be clear that like there is no solution apart from jesus like there is no reconciliation there's no peace there's no justice there's no vengeance without jesus um but also like the the prescription that god has is that we take up our cross and we follow him 
And that's not something that is exciting to us or pleasant to us or sounds like a good idea to us, but that's something that he's in, he's invited us into. It's the only thing that breaks that cycle of vengeance. And it's the only thing that allows David to genuinely mourn for Saul's death and bless his name in, in remembrance is that he understood God's heart for Saul and he understood God's heart for the wicked. Um, and I just will close with this uh, verse from... Second Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Yeah. Um, amen. So I think... Um, as we just kind of go into a time of response, like truly like David did not come by that revelation of God's heart for Saul apart from the place of prayer. Um, and so I think, you know, just even as we recognize and see the climate of the culture that we're living in and the nations like ramping up their rage, um, I want to just ask the Lord this morning, like for grace that he would give us hearts that like lock eyes with him, that we would touch his heart for the, like the wicked. And that also for any part of us, that's like surprised when we see the wickedness of man or surprised when we see the full blown manifestation of the iniquity that's inside of us come to the surface, like just asking God, like, God, like, would you root out any pride in me? that thinks that I'm better than that? Or would you root out any humanism in me that thinks that we have good apart from you? Um, so let's just, um, if we can break off just into groups of twos and threes and just ask for grace, like the grace that God would give us uh, the ability to behold his heart, behold his, his face and love his ways, love um, blessing over cursing and have his heart that we would actually be grieved with him, that we would feel the way that he desires that all should reach repentance and that none should perish. Um, and then secondly, just praying that God would just root out any pride in us and anything in us that, that thinks that we have anything good without him. Um, David, you know, 